Good morning, Grace. Good to see you guys this morning. Wanted to begin with just an acknowledgement this morning. Um, this past Thursday was Connie Peterson's last day in the office. She retired on Thursday. She was uh, with us 26 and a half years. That's a long time. And 24 of those years, she was with me. <laughs> That's even longer when you think about it, but um, she uh, obviously um, means a lot to me. Uh, I told the staff Thursday that um, the one word that I think describes Connie, and if you don't know her well, you might not know this, but uh, loyalty. She's a loyal person. If I told Connie I didn't want to be disturbed, guess what? I wasn't disturbed. Um, she was a tremendous um, help to me. In fact, when I first started out at Spring Road, uh, there for a little while, it was just myself and Connie. And um, so the Lord certainly used her in my life. I'm thankful for her and uh, her family. And uh, we acknowledged her this morning, and I, don't, I didn't want to leave you guys out of that um, because it's important for you to know. You know, these people that come on Sunday who, who serve in the office in one capacity or another. You may not see, right? You see maybe the results of some things being done, but you don't know who maybe is doing those things, and Connie was always a part of that. And um, so just certainly appreciate uh, her and um, her willingness to serve for 26 and a half years. And I praise the Lord uh, for her. Um, this morning, we want to continue our reading through the book of Philippians, so I'm going to ask that you would take your Bibles, turn to Philippians chapter 4, and we're going to, uh, we sure do read through a book quicker than we teach through a book. <laughs> so we're in chapter 4, and I'm going to ask that you would stand as we read uh, God's Word together. Therefore, my beloved brethren, whom I long to see, my joy and crown, in this way stand firm in the Lord, my beloved. I urge Yodia and Syntyche to live in harmony in the Lord. Now, how would you like that? For your names to be in the eternal word of God, and that to be what was said. <laughs> live in harmony in the Lord. Indeed, a true companion, I ask you also to help these women who have shared my struggle in the cause of the gospel, together with Clement also, and the rest of my fellow workers whose names are in the book of life. Then he says, rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I will say, rejoice. Um, you know, if you... If you say it once, it's important, but if you say it twice, it's pretty important. And you know, for us in the days that we're living in, rejoicing is a really great discipline. And if you look at the object of that rejoicing, it's not rejoicing in necessarily what's going on, but it's rejoicing in the Lord no matter what's going on. So he says, rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. Let your gentle spirit be known to all men. The Lord is near. Then these verses really certainly have some application for us pretty much every day of our life. Um, but certainly in the times that we're in, be anxious for nothing, Paul says. Be anxious for nothing. 
But in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your request be made known to God. So whatever is going on in our lives, hey, the Lord wants to know it. He already knows it anyway. He just wants you to tell him, this is what's going on in my life. Because ultimately, you know what he wants? Our trust. He wants us to trust him. Notice what he says, verse 7. Now, you have to do verse 6 to get verse 7. And he says, the peace of God which surpasses all understanding or co comprehension shall guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Finally, brethren. Now, sometimes Paul uses that word finally, and he's really got like a whole bunch more to say. <laughs> but in this particular case, he's almost done. And these are some really great things Paul gets us to think about. He wants us to dwell on these things. And, um, you know, there's so much media yak going on today. Um, however you feel about that, that's your business. But there's so many distractions today for our minds. You know who wants our minds? Answer, the Lord. Listen to what Paul writes here to the church of Philippi. He says, finally, brethren, whatever is true, <clears throat> excuse me, whatever is honorable, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, <clears throat> whatever is of good repute, if there is any excellence, if anything worthy of praise, dwell on these things. That word dwell means to take up residence. That's where we ought to be living. That's what Paul says. Dwell on those things. Live in light of these things. Then he says, the things which you have learned and received and heard and seen in me. Practice these things. That's a strong statement. He's saying, look at my life and practice what I'm doing. That's pretty strong. Sounds arrogant, but it's not. Because Paul knew that his strength came from the Lord. And notice what he says, and the peace of God will be with you. And may the Lord bless the reading of his most holy word. Let's pray all together. Lord, we thank you for another day of life. You are the author of life. You give it to us. We don't deserve another moment. It's only by your grace. Lord, this morning, um, I want to pray for the church at large. I pray for all those who are a part of the church, the true church, those who are born again. Lord, I pray that what would stand out in our lives is a message of hope and truth. And that when people go through times of anxiety, we're able to point them to the gospel of Jesus Christ. And the hope that we have and knowing that when we leave this world, if we're in Christ, we are to be with you forever. How blessed is that to know. Lord, I want to pray that um, you would be with those who aren't able to be with us during these times. Father, I just pray that you would guard their hearts and their minds in you. Help us to be thankful people for your church. Help us to be people who are not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Help us to stand on the truth knowing that we will be ridiculed. But Lord, you were, and Paul was, and Timothy was, and the apostles were. But to the end... They stood firm. 
So I pray that we would do that, that we would have that mind. And this morning, Lord, as we sing of your love and your grace, I just pray that you would be honored above all. I thank you for each one that's here this morning. And may the words of our mouth, the meditations of our heart be acceptable in your sight today. And we pray all this in the precious name of Jesus Christ the Lord. Amen. You can be seated, guys. Uh, the songs this morning are focused on uh, Jesus and the gospel and even our own testimonies and what he's done for us. So as we sing, as, or as, as you're listening, uh, just think about the words and maybe even think back to uh, that time in your life when Jesus found you and rescued you. So we're going to start off with a song called When Death Was Arrested. And it's been a popular song. It's been out a while. You probably heard it. Uh, but it's the first time we've done it. So you guys listen to the words. Sing along if you want to. Alone in my sorrow and dead in my sin Lost without hope, no place to begin Your love made a way to let mercy come in When death was arrested and my life began Ash was redeemed, only beauty remained My orphan heart was given anew My morning grew quiet, my feet rose to death When death was arrested and my life began, oh, your grace so free washes over me. You have made me new now. Life begins with you. It's your endless love pouring down. I'm a prisoner no more My shame was a ransom He faithfully bore He canceled my debt And he called me his friend That's when death was arrested And my life Rejoiced as though heaven had lost. 
stand as we get ready to sing about the sweet love of Jesus. Can it be? He loves 
so good I wanted you guys to learn it so we're going to keep doing it probably we're going to do it this week and we may even do it the next two or three weeks till you guys really get it down because it's a really good song salvation where your 
blood is poured, it is paid in full by the precious blood that my Jesus spilled. Now the curse of sin has no hold on me, whom the sun sets free, oh, is free indeed. Now my debt is paid, it is paid in full by the precious blood that my Jesus spilled. Now the curse of sin has no hold on me, whom the sun sets free, oh, is free. sing Jesus Messiah and um, just celebrate as we sing this song together. Jesus Messiah Sing with me. Name above all names Blessed Redeemer Rescue for sinners, the ransom from heaven, Jesus Messiah, Lord of all. He became sin. Who knew no sin That we might become His righteousness He humbled Himself And He carried the cross Love so amazing Love so Messiah, name 
singing that last song, you guys know what Emmanuel means, right? God with us. Isn't it nice to know that He never leaves us, He never forsakes us, 
Take your Bibles and go with me to the book of 2 Timothy. We're in the second chapter. We've graduated from chapter 1 to chapter 2. In case you've forgotten, there are four chapters. Our goal will be to finish the four chapters sometime this year. In 2014, Admiral William H. McRaven, commander of the U.S. Special Operations, gave the commencement address at the University of Texas. His address seemed to not only have an impact and influence on the ones who were privileged to attend that day, the ceremonies, but if you go to YouTube and immediately type his name, it comes up, the address that he gave. And he gives in the opening address a very simple illustration that will serve us well today as we think about the simple instruction that Paul gives to Timothy as it relates to investing in others. So I'm going to ask that you watch this video with me. Every morning in SEAL training, my instructors, who at the time were all Vietnam veterans, would show up in my barracks room, and the first thing they'd do was inspect my bed. If you did it right, the corners would be square, the covers would be pulled tight, the pillow centered just under the headboard, and the extra blanket folded neatly at the foot of the rack. It was a simple task mundane at best, but every morning we were required to make our bed to perfection. It seemed a little ridiculous at the time, particularly in light of the fact that we were aspiring to be real warriors, tough battle-hardened seals, but the wisdom of this simple act has been proven to me many times over. If you make your bed every morning, you will have accomplished the first task of the day. It will give you a small sense of pride and it will encourage you to do another task, and another, and another. And by the end of the day, that one task completed will have turned into many tasks completed. Making your bed will also reinforce the fact that the little things in life matter. If you can't do the little things right, you'll never be able to do the big things right. And if by chance you have a miserable day, you will come home to a bed that is made, <laughs> that you made. And a made bed gives you encouragement that tomorrow will be better. So if you want to change the world, start off by making your bed. All right, guys, you want to change the world, make your bed. That wasn't the message that Paul had for Timothy, but in principle, it's a great analogy. It does begin with the simple things, embracing the simple things from the Word of God and saying, you know what, if the Lord took the time to give the instruction, then I need to take the time to consider what has been said. Let me give you the text. In other words, Paul is going to get to a point in verse 2 of chapter 2 where he tells Timothy to invest in faithful men, men who will invest in others also. Now I want you to consider... That in light of making your bed. How many of you made your bed today? A few. Go home and make your bed. 
Now, it's a simple analogy, but it's very, very weighty when you consider the implications. Because what, in essence, Paul is telling Timothy is make your bed. Do the things that God requires you to do. And you know, when you think about it, what did Jesus tell his disciples? Something very simple in Matthew chapter 28. What did he tell them to do? Go make what? Disciples. Simple instruction. How well is the church doing with that today? Is that something that needs to be considered by every single person that's in this room? Yes. Jesus invested in Paul. Paul invested in Timothy. Simple, simple to think about, difficult to do. Because you know what investment requires? Denying self first. It demands sacrifice of time second. Because if you're going to invest in your children, it demands sacrifice of time and being intentional. Can we agree on that? Some parents, when they get their, when their kids arrive to being teenagers, they're like, how did they get to have the mind they do? How come they think about this different than I do? Well, sometimes there's just no explanation but many times, the explanation is the parents need to do more to invest in their children and be willing to say the hard things. How many of you know that Paul was willing to say the hard things to Timothy in First and Second Timothy? Why do we say the hard things to our children? We love them. Why does Paul say the hard things to Timothy? Paul's about to die. He's at the end. He could have just thrown in the town and said, I'm done, but he doesn't. He's like, man, this guy's important. I love him. He needs to do what I did. He needs to invest in the lives of others. And I hope by the end of our time this morning that you will recognize your personal responsibility as a believer in Christ to invest in others. It's not just one person that has the responsibility. The church, the way it's set up many times, um, is set up in such a way that people look at certain folks and say, well, they have the responsibility to do this. You're going to be relieved to know by the end of this service that God has given all of us who are in Christ the responsibility to invest in the lives of others. That address that the admiral gave how many lives has it impacted we're not going to know but how many sat there that day thinking I need to start with the simple task and at that point it's changed their lives well Paul wanted Timothy to fully embrace the responsibility that he had <clears throat> in chapter 2 verses 1 through 7 Paul addresses Timothy with what many theologians believe to be one of the most important sections in the entire letter. And when you consider the context of the passage and the fact that 
Paul is in a dungeon in prison and about to die, I'd have to go, yeah. Because what did he need Timothy to do? Embrace the responsibility that had been given to him. Just like, listen to me, every single one of us need to embrace the responsibility that God has given us. There cannot be Christians on the sidelines watching life go by. I could just close in prayer with that, couldn't I? There's a lot to think about, but we're not going to do that. I'm going to give you everything that the Lord has given me this week. We begin with some opening introductory facts about this section. The first one comes from verse 7, actually. In verse 7, the word that's heavy on Paul's mind is the word consider. In verse 8, it's the word remember. And so the sections definitely are there. In verse 1 through 7 is a section. And what does verse 7 tell us? Look at verse 7 of chapter 2. Consider what I say, Paul says. That word consider means to weigh. Weigh what's being said. Hey guys, how many times have you had conversations with your children and you're like, you need to consider what I'm saying to you. And you've looked at them right in the eye and you think there's eye contact. You're not sure because a lot of times there's just blurry but you're like, you need to really consider what's being said. I had three boys, and I don't know how many times I said, you need to consider what I, I'm saying to you. That's the picture here. The picture is, Timothy, you need to consider what I'm saying to you in these verses. You don't just need to let them go by or go, well, how important is that? These verses Verses 1 through 6 are absolutely huge. They were huge in Timothy's life, and I believe, consequently, huge in our own lives. So he says, consider what I say. Now, if the sentence stopped there, you go, well, all Paul's doing is focusing on what he does. But notice what the verse says. Consider what I say because, that's the word for, because the who will give you understanding and everything. The Lord by the way, there goes the excuse. I forgot to mention this in first service. There goes the excuse for us. I can't do it. Ha, <laughs> right? No excuse. Oh, hold on a second. If Timothy was going to throw out one, Paul says, Hey, look, consider what I say, for the Lord will give you understanding. Hey, isn't that good? Aren't you going, yes. Listen, that's exactly what Jesus did with his disciples when he left them. Right? He said, hey, look, I'm about to leave you where I'm going. You can't come now. He said, I'm going to leave you a helper, a helper of the same kind who's been with you but is going to be in you. Man, how many times have you heard people say, well, I just can't do that? How many Christians have said that? We've all done it. I can't do that. Well, good. That's the first step in the right direction. You can't do it, nor can I. But you know the one that can give us understanding? The Lord. The Lord can give us understanding. That's what Paul says, consider what I say, for the Lord will give you understanding and everything. So in context, he's talking about the things he's going to discuss with Timothy in verses 1 through 6, as we have it. You know what this would mean for Timothy? If he was going to really weigh what was being said? He was going to have to remove the distractions. Eliminate the distractions. How many of you have distractions in your life? Go ahead and shake your head, because I do too. 
There's distractions from staying on the course. You know, Timothy could have allowed himself to go to, hey, look, Paul, uh, Nero's in power. Have you forgotten? Well, no, Paul hadn't forgotten. He's about to have his head chopped off. He hadn't forgotten. Hey, um, maybe Paul's forgotten Christians are being persecuted. Paul didn't forget that. Those easily could have been distractions. Suffering is a distraction. You know why? Christians say, well, I need this smooth path. I got news for you. As a Christian, there's no smooth path. When you're going down that road, there's bumps in the road. We would even say at times there's craters in the road. But you know who's going on that road with you? If you know the Lord, he is. <laughs> I mean, Timothy could have thrown up all kinds of excuses we do. Hey, Lord, do you not know what I'm going through right now? I can't do that. Consider what I say, Paul says, for the Lord will give you understanding in everything. Second observation. The sentence begins with the pronoun you. <laughs> I love pronouns. You know why I love pronouns? My mom loved pronouns. My mom was an English teacher. I had no choice but to love pronouns. You remember whenever um, they ask you, like some of you are literally going through this right now, and the teacher says, I want you to diagram a sentence. How many of you remember diagramming sentences? Just tons of fun. I mean, if you're really diagramming a long one, like if you took Ephesians 1, 3 through 14, that's one sentence in the Greek. Paul just goes on and on and on and on and on and on, and you're like, ah! But if you're diagramming that, how much fun is that? You can have four and five pages. I don't believe in skipping a word. Never have. By the grace of God, I never will. I may not be able to explain everything, but I'm not going to skip it. The sentence begins with the pronoun you. I say it's worth considering because this is what Paul's doing. He's saying, you, Timothy. He's not using anyone else's name. It's you. You, Timothy. I mean, do you get the point? I mean, Timothy gets this letter, and he's reading through, and it's like, you, 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 understood you. Right? You know what understood subjects are, right? You study English, that's wonderful. And do you know in the context of the passage, it's over and over again. The responsibility to take and embrace what's being said, Paul expected Timothy to do that. How do you know? Verse 1, look at it, you. Verse 2, the understood there is you and trust. Verse 3, you suffer hardship. <laughs> understood subject. Timothy. Verse 7, you consider. So, in this section, who's Paul talking to? Timothy, you. Now, in our culture, when somebody points the finger and says, you, that's offensive. I don't, well, it might not be me. Well, no. It's really that this way. Not only was Paul pointing the finger at Timothy and saying, you, Paul is indirect, indirectly pointing the finger at us, you. It's amazing to me. You can go from when Paul's writing Timothy to today and you're going, oh my goodness, it's, got just, it's the same. There's application all over the place. Well, 
you know, one of the problems that we have in our culture, church, church culture too, is accepting the responsibility. Because now four times it's either mentioned you or it's implied. Well, for us, we have responsibility to embrace what God has said that we are to do. So when you're going through a section of Scripture and you're reading about how to behave as a believer, you know who the Lord is pointing the finger at? You and me and you and me. You know what we like to do? Go, them. But it's us. The Lord dealt with me this week on the responsibility. I want to give you an illustration of this. Because Paul's careful to say you, Timothy. I wanted us to consider what we have been charged to do. If you read the book of Titus, you could see this illustrated older, younger, older, younger in the faith. If we want to see the younger generations embrace the responsibilities of biblical Christianity, here are three essential considerations. I'm not telling you to do it. I can't. I could tell you to do it, but you, you have a choice. You make a choice to do it or not do it. I was watching a pastor um, several months ago. In fact, one of my friends pointed this out to me um, not too long ago, and I'd already seen it. I was watching a popular, good Bible-teaching pastor in California, and they were panning the audience. And you know what I noticed? The lack of young people. I'm talking about a popular, great pastor, teacher, author. And I noticed in the audience, cotton tops. You didn't see a bunch of young people. And I'm like, where are they? Now, you can't paint a broad brush and say they're all gone because they're not. There's some sitting here. But we have the responsibility to invest in the life of others. Would you agree with that? Biblically, that's what the Bible tells us. Paul, and you're going to see it in this section, Paul invested in Timothy. And he's got a design for Timothy and what he's to do. But if we're going to see generations embrace biblical Christianity, we need to invest in their lives. I want to tell you what it looks like. Number one, do life with families being intentional. You say, what do you mean by doing life with them? Go get ice cream with them. Go to the ballpark with them. Have them to your house. You're like, well, do you ever talk about the word? Yeah, absolutely. You know how it's going to come up? Naturally. You say, well, if I don't set up a lesson time, we may never talk about the Lord of the word. Well, who are you? Yeah, you are. If you're in Christ, you can't help but talk about the Lord and his word. Right? You get up every day and you're like, there's opportunities all over the place. So do life intentionally with someone. Can I challenge you to do that? That'd be all right. Do life. Pick a couple. Pray about it. Lord, who would you have us do life with? Because I can promise you there are a whole lot of folks out there in a lot of pain spiritually. They need people who are willing to invest in their lives. So do life with families being intentional. Don't burden these families with do's and don'ts. That's a whole sermon in itself. Please don't do that. Don't invest in these families and make a list for them. The second meeting that says, I think you need to do this, and I don't think you need to do that. Please don't do that. You do not have permission for me to do that. 
nor do you have permission from the Lord to do that. There is one Holy Spirit, and it's not me and it's not you. He's the one that works in the hearts and lives of people. But we should encourage them to what? A biblical, Christ-centered, daily focus. Now, I love this last sentence that the Lord gave me. By way of example... So we set the example. They're watching how we live. They're watching the decisions that we make. Are we going to be perfect? No. And do you know if you start investing in the lives of others, you know what's going to happen? You're, at some point in time, you're going to have to say, I'm sorry. I was wrong. That doesn't go too well with people. But the Lord expects humble, honest servants. Look at this. Focus by way of example and through natural biblical coaching. Now, what I mean by that is, whenever you're doing life with these families, you're not necessarily carrying your Bible underneath your arm and walking around and going to the ballpark like that or going to get ice cream like that. But you know what? The Bible says what? That we're to have our minds centered on the Lord and His Word all the time, so I'm taking it with me wherever I go. So if I'm eating that cookies and cream ice cream on a waffle cone, which is really good, think about that for just a second, really good. I love that cookies and cream and then that cookie dough. You know that dough? Oh, praise the Lord for it. It's so good. But you're doing that and you're eating ice cream and you're fellowshipping together. Things may come up. They might ask you, hey, how did you handle your teenager during this issue in their life? Did this ever come up? Hey, that's doing life with them. Hey, you encourage them through the word in that. Give them biblical coaching. And if you lack wisdom, you know what James says? Ask, and he'll give it to you. All right, thirdly, serve side by side with families. Not with a demanding spirit, but with the mind of equipping. You're equipping, you're equipping people. That's what Paul says in Ephesians. Equip the saints to do the work of the ministry. See, we lead by example. All right. So that's just kind of an example of accepting responsibility there. Something to think about. Third observation, Paul is intentional. And using the term therefore, Paul connects chapters 1 and 2. Notice what it says. You therefore, my son, be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. Therefore needs to be treated like a stop sign. Anytime you're reading through the word and you see that word therefore, stop. Stop. Because it's there for a reason. Okay? It's there for a reason. And you learn that early on in Bible study methods. Hey, when I run across therefore, you know what the author is doing? Simply said, he's wanting you to go back to what's previously said. So you know what Paul wants Timothy to do? Go back and read. Go back and consider what I've said previously. What had he said previously? What was he talking about? I believe he's pointing exactly to this. There were some in chapter 1 who stayed the course of the Christian life. They stayed the course. But there are examples in chapter 1 of people who got off the course. Are there not? Absolutely there are. Let me show you the examples here. In chapter 1, what does it say about Timothy's mother and grandmother? In verse 5 of chapter 1, Paul identifies their faith as what? A sincere faith. Oh, hey, those are good influences. In Timothy's life. We know that to be true. We know Paul was as well. We also know, know that Onesiphorus was. I mean, how many times have you ever heard the word 
the name Onesiphorus thrown around in pulpits not very often, but this, this person was important to Timothy. He was an example of someone who stayed the course, who was not ashamed of the chains of Paul or the gospel of Jesus Christ. And, you know, we're, we're, we typically will say, well, now look at these other people. Like there were some in Asia and Phygelus and Hermogenes, and they got off the course, and, and Christians are quick to point out, well, look what they did. But you better consider the historical context before you start pointing fingers. Because Nero was ruthless, and he was a persecutor of Christians. And how many of you are staying the course if all of a sudden in the church today we're being persecuted, physically harmed? Are people going to be like, yeah, they are. Absolutely. That's going to happen. And so Paul is telling Timothy, look, stay on the course. You have examples of those who didn't and those who did. And he's about to tell him how to stay on the course. So he wants him to think about that. Well, in Acts chapter 20, Paul, in addressing the elders of, uh, at Miletus, the Ephesian elders, he says this about his own life. Notice what it says, chapter 20, verse 24. Paul testifies about staying the course. He says, but I do not consider my life of any account as dear to myself. That's one sermon on denying self. And it's all I can do to keep moving on. Denying self. Notice what he says. So that I may, what? Finish my course. Listen, guys. The Lord has a course for your life. If you're a believer in Christ, he's got a course. He's got a direction for you to go. And you know what? Ultimately, at the end of that is to glorify him in all that we say and all that we do. He says, so that I may finish my course in the ministry. And notice he says, I received from the Lord Jesus. He knew where his ministry came from. And if you're a believer in Christ today, this morning, you say, ah, I'm a Christian. You have a ministry. God's given you a ministry. He says, I received from the Lord Jesus to testify solemnly of the grace of God. And so Paul is intentional. He doesn't start the verse out by saying, be strong. He starts it out by saying, you therefore my son. All right? Fourth observation. Paul has a sincere personal concern for his pupil. You say, well, how do you know that context? He really cares about Timothy. How do you know? The words tell us. The word son there is the word technon in the Greek. Weos is the word son. He does not use the word weos. Aren't those cool words? So you have weos and you have technon. Now, sometimes when people approach a text and they go, well, how really important is the Greek? It's really important. Because what Paul is saying here, he's not treating him as a son, he's treating him as a child. His true child in the faith. Now, is he demeaning Paul? I mean, Timothy in any way? No. He's not demeaning Timothy. What he's saying is, look, I am the teacher, he is the student. I'm the teacher, he's the student. That's going to make sense when we get to verse 2. I'm the teacher, Timothy is the student. So he says, you therefore my child, my child in the faith. That's the idea here. Um, the picture is of a parent and child relationship. That's the picture that Paul paints with that word technon. 
And so you think about a parent-child relationship. If you love your child, you're going to what? Invest in your child. You're going to pay attention to your child. That's going to be important for you. I could cite several examples of children that have come to me and said the words I'm about to say. I've had students, kids come to me and say this exactly. And if it was just one, there was one not too long ago, but it's been said to me over and over again. Something like this. A child comes up to me and says, Pastor Thad, my father enjoys playing with me. This is a smaller child. My, My dad really enjoys being a part of my life. I'm like, that's great, right? I was like, that's great. And then, not losing much breath, the child said, but my mom, it's all about work. Through the mouth of children. I was like, oh. You see, a parent has the responsibility to spiritually invest in the life of children. The most important thing, listen to me, the most important thing in your child's life is their spiritual life. That's the most important thing. You need to know where your children are spiritually. Paul was concerned about his spiritual child, who was Timothy. And so that's why he uses the word technon here, or child refers to a teacher and his pupil. Paul was the teacher, Timothy was the pupil. So there's a sincerity that comes from that term child. When I was in college, Dr. John Talley used to refer to um, us as children of God because the Bible refers to all those who are born again as children of God. And he would say, you're a child of God. And he would look at us and he'd say, you're a child of God. And it would be like over and over again, you're a child of God. And you know what was cemented in my mind that Dr. Talley said when I left Southeastern Bible College? I'm a child of God. How great is it to be a child of God? You like that? Well, see, Paul looked at that relationship with the Lord Jesus and knew he was his child and looked at Timothy and it's like, that's my child. That's my child. Beautiful, beautiful picture in the Greek language. Well, we come to the verse 2 to the text. Notice what he says in verse 1. He says, first of all, be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. So the first instruction that he gives to uh, Timothy leading up to verse 2 is be strengthened by grace. Notice he says, be strong in the grace, be strong in the favor of Christ Jesus. That's what the word grace means. It means undeserved favor. We don't deserve the favor of God, do we? No, we don't. Answer, we don't deserve the favor of God. But... If we're born again, we have the favor of God in our lives. There's two important observations here from this particular instruction that Paul gives Timothy. Notice he says, be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. The verb there is a present tense imperative emphasizing the importance of continually being strengthened by means of his grace. In other words, you know what he's not telling Timothy? Listen, this is very important. He's not telling Timothy, hey, look in the mirror and do like this and say, man, I can make it through the course of life. That's not what he's saying. He's not saying, look, start lifting weights. You can make it through the Christian life. That's not what he's saying. 
You say, well, what in the world is he saying? Well, observation number two tells us the strength with which he gives him instruction here, be strong. The strength to endure the course of life as a believer comes from an outside source. So it's not you and it's not me. The strength to endure the yuck stuff in life comes from the grace of God. It's his grace. And how many of you would say it's wonderful grace? It's wonderful grace. So the strength to endure, this is exactly what Paul's telling Timothy in light of the context. Hey, Timothy, I'm sitting in this dungeon, and the strength to endure comes from the grace of God. It comes from the grace of God. Philippians chapter 4, verse 13, Paul says what? I can do all things through who? Through Christ who, what? Strengthens me. Guys, listen, if we're looking for strength from our own, our own life, it ain't going to happen. We have to rest in the grace that comes from and through the Lord Jesus Christ. There's a great example of this found in 2 Corinthians chapter 12. I want you to flip back. Let me hear you flipping back to 2 Corinthians chapter 12. I want to show you something. Scroll in your phone, whatever it is you do. Find 2 Corinthians chapter 12. This is a wonderful illustration of grace. Because, listen, what Paul is ultimately telling Timothy is, look, you're going through the Christian life, and there's lots of stuff going on, and you need strength to endure it, and strength comes by grace, the grace that is in Christ Jesus. In chapter 12 of 2 Corinthians, 2 Corinthians chapter 12, the apostle Paul refers to here what took place between him and the Lord at a critical time in his ministry. Look at verse 7. Because of the surpassing greatness of the revelations, for this reason, to keep me from exalting myself, there was given me a thorn in the flesh. Ugh. Uh, pride was an issue for Paul. Right? Pride's an issue for man. So he says, um, because of the surpassing greatness of the revelations, for this reason, to keep me from pride or exalting myself, there was given me a thorn in the flesh, a messenger of Satan, to torment me. I mean, how do you look at that? You go, well, that's not fair. Really? I mean, how many things in your life can you describe as being painful? Right? There are a lot of people that go, that's not fair. And we looked at Job weeks ago. That's not fair. Is that what Job says? No, that's not what he said. Open up the letter. That's not what Job says. And notice what Paul does in verse 8. He said, concerning this, I implored the Lord. That word implore means beg. He said, I begged him. Have you ever begged the Lord for something? There's nothing wrong with that, by the way. <laughs> Some people are like, well, is that right to do? Yeah, it's right to do. Who else are you going to beg from? Well, he's in control of all things, right? There's many times in the Psalms where David's begging, pleading with the Lord. Notice he says, I begged the Lord. Hey, he didn't just beg the Lord one time. He begged him three times. Lord, I need this to leave. And the Lord's like, all right. 
Is that what he said? Not what he said. You know, sometimes with the Lord it's yes, and sometimes with the Lord it's no, and sometimes it's just wait. I don't know. I know he's in control, but notice what Paul says. This is what the Lord said to him. And he said to me, meaning Jesus, he said to me, my grace, my favor in your life is sufficient for you. <laughs> I mean, who wants that kind of answer, right? In the health, wealth, and prosperity theology that goes on around our culture today. Who wants this kind of answer? I mean, didn't you get the latest bulletin? God wants me to be healthy and wealthy. That's what some preach and teach. Paul must not have gotten that memo. He's going through a painful time. And he's begging the Lord for it to leave. And the Lord says, my grace is sufficient for you. Isn't that good? So when your spouse is next to you and dying of cancer, that's real life. What do you do? Do you get in the mirror and go, I can do it? Or do you go, the grace of the Lord is sufficient for me? Those are big differences, big differences. Because you know what runs out? If it's this mentality, that runs out. I've been with families, families who were not born again, who've literally, I sat in their living rooms, and they've said these words to me. We're going to be fine. We'll get through this. Literally like having a pep rally, I remember, in one living room. No, no, you're not going to get through this. I didn't tell them that. But I wanted to. Because you know what? Listen, you know the difference between us and the unbeliever when we're going through things? We have someone who we know never leaves us and forsakes us. See, the unbeliever is hopeless. They go to these funerals and they go, that's the end. That's all. It's not all. It's not all. And every single person in this room is going to close their eyes in death if the Lord doesn't come back. And you're going to live eternally one place or the other. There's only two options. It's heaven or it's hell. You know, I'm, I'm getting heaven by grace. Well... Did you know that God's grace is present from the beginning of Scripture all the way to the end? Pretty cool. Listen to this. You don't need to turn there. You just listen. Listen to in Genesis chapter 3, after the fall of man, after the sin in the garden. You know, the Lord is just so gracious. You want to hear an illustration of grace? Now, this is after their sin, after the fall. In chapter 3, verse 21, the Bible says, The Lord God made garments, garments of skin. There was a sacrifice required. What a great picture. Garments of skin for Adam and his wife, and he clothed them. You know what that is a picture of? Grace. Did Adam and Eve deserve those skins? Answer, no. Grace. 
Did you deserve salvation? No. Grace. When I was at Bible college, I had a professor named Dr. Alden Gannett. One of the best preachers I ever heard in my life. The theme of Dr. Alden Gannett's life, grace. And he would say it just like that, grace. He'd just carry it out. I was like, that's cool how he does that. And he'd stand on his toes and he'd say, we're saved by grace. We live by grace. And we're like, yes. I mean, how many people are living in their own strength according to their own works and relying on all that stuff to get them to heaven? And I'm saying that's sad. It's grace. It's God's favor in my life. Can I explain it? Yeah, somewhat. Because I remember hearing the gospel when I was young. And by the grace of God, I was convicted by the Spirit of God of my sin. My need for Christ. But you know, I not only am saved by grace, I live by grace. How many of you see God's favor in your life? Should. Okay, where is it, Pat? Well, it's all over the New Testament. Just spend time in that sentence I told you about earlier in chapter 1, verses 3 through 14. And this the whole long sentence. Grace, man, I've been redeemed. I've been bought. I've been sealed by the Spirit of God. That's better than any ice cream you'll eat. Although I like ice cream. There's grace also in the final words of the Bible. Did you know that? Revelation, the final verse, this is what it says. The grace of the Lord Jesus be with all. Amen. Whew. It's awesome, isn't it? Cover to cover, it's grace. It's faith and it's grace. The common threads from Genesis through Revelation, faith and grace. And man's problem, which is what? Sin. Did you know we sing a lot about grace? You know, Paul tells Timothy, hey, be strengthened by grace, the grace that's in Christ. We, we sing these songs um, like this, grace greater than our sin, grace that is greater than all our sin. We sing hymns like Wonderful Grace of Jesus. That's my favorite. I'd sing it for you, but I can't. Wonderful Grace of Jesus, greater than what? All our sin. And then the one that even the pagan knows because it's sung so many times at funerals. Amazing grace. How sweet the sound that saved a good person like me. Is that what it, what it goes? No, amazing grace. How sweet the sound that saved what? A wretch like me. I told you the story a couple weeks ago about the guy that I ran into and I've been sharing with. and He's just like, man, Thad, I'm a wretched guy. And you know what? I looked at him and was like, I am too. <laughs> we, have, we have that in common. I'm wretched too. I got good news for you. I'm wretched. Paul knew he was wretched and he knew he was saved by grace. And you know what Paul knew? He not only knew he was strengthened by grace, uh, saved by grace, but he was strengthened by grace. See, guys, you want in, to endure the Christian life? Rest in the grace of the Lord. And that's the requirement. 
See, the other side is I got to work and do and work and do, and I hope I do, and I hope I, you know, I hope I get this all right, and I'm, I mean, look at me, I'm strong. No! Hey, guys, live life and let the grace of the Lord flow through you. It's a good thing because it gives you strength to endure the things in life that you look at and go, oh, I just can't do that. You're right, you can't. And the world looks at you and says, how in the world are they doing that? And you know, the testimony at that point is, hey, I'm doing this only by the grace of God, only by his grace. Paul knew how important the grace of God was in his life, and he knew how important it would be in Timothy's. So he says, be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. And then he tells him, secondly, be committed to the process. So as you're living your Christian life, Timothy, be strengthened by grace, even to make it through times like Nero persecuting Christians and Nero killing me. Hey, look, you be strengthened by the grace that comes through Jesus Christ. But then he says all of that to lead up to this. Timothy, you have the responsibility to be committed to the process. What process? You know, one of the things you have to at least admire about Nick Saban, although I'm not a big Alabama fan, as many of you might know, and if you didn't know it, you know it now. Um, one of the things that he does so well, he's committed to a process. And he just is. I, mean, I don't know how many times I've heard him press conference. The process, the process. I'm like, dude, the process. Everybody knows he's going to talk about the process. Why? Because when you arrive on campus as a football player, he's got in mind where he wants to take you. Does he not? Yes, he does. Why do you think Alabama has so many players in the NFL? Process. He's committed to a process. And that's something that's in this world. Okay, let's back away from that world stuff and go, hey, this is spiritual stuff. How committed are we to the process that Paul lays out before Timothy? Look what he says to him. I want you to think about that question. How, how committed are you to the process? Here's the process. And this is where Paul does not let any of us out of the responsibility. I'm going to show you that in just a minute. That's what he says, the things which you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses. Let's stop there and talk about that for a minute. What things? <laughs> right? Sometimes you're like, Paul, could you just not like outline that? He did. Have you read 1 Timothy? Have you read Ephesians? It's there. Timothy was the pastor of the church at Ephesus. He gave him clear guidance. This is what who God is. This is salvation. These are the things that you need to be doing as a believer. Ephesians. If you want to break it down, the first three chapters, he says, in Ephesians, this, this is who you are in Christ. The last three chapters, he says, now this is how you need to live in light of the fact that you're in Christ. So he's given him instruction. The things I have told you. He tells him in 1 Timothy, he's got a, a plethora of subjects in 1 Timothy. I mean, he just goes subject by subject by subject. One of those subjects is found in chapter 6. He talks about money. That'll make people cringe in their seats. Money. You heard about that before? Money. Whose money is it? God's money. God's money. 
Hey, Timothy, it's God's money. Hey, Timothy, this is how that needs that stewardship piece needs to look in your life and in every life of a believer. So the things cover a multitude of subjects of which he does not tell us here. But we do have in other places. He says, the things which you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses. I like this phrase. Many people accuse Paul of being a lone ranger. He was far from that. He's saying, look, it wasn't just something I told you, but it was heard in the presence of many witnesses. It's nice to have witnesses. You know, if one's to bring an accusation against an elder, it says you need to have two or three witnesses. Witnesses were important. They're important in the Old Testament, important in the New Testament, important today. What you're looking for is witnesses that are going to tell the what? truth so paul is saying here listen these things i've told you i've told you in the presence of many people now what are you to do with these things glad you asked the question look what he says entrust these to faithful men who will be able to teach others also that word entrust means to hand it over to someone for safekeeping Handing over something to someone for safekeeping. Remember in the context, Paul's about to die, and what's he handing over? He's handing over the responsibility for the declaration of the gospel to who? Timothy. Hand it over. I'm entrusting you, he says. Entrust these things, he says, then to faithful men. The things I have entrusted you to you, you entrust those things to faithful men. To those who are going to keep it safe. Um, my grandfather, my mom's dad, he had a pie safe. You know what a pie safe is? It's just a big old piece of furniture with, that's usually pretty old with a bunch of tin. It's, it's, it's Teresa's thing. But I'm going to tell you, the point of the story is this. When Teresa married into the family... One of the first times she walked into my grandfather and grandmother's house, she saw that piece of furniture. And she just stared at that piece of furniture. And she knew that, obviously, I had one sister. And my sister was not interested in that piece of furniture at all. And guess what? Before my grandfather and grandmother died, they called Teresa into the room one day and they said, Hey, Teresa, we'd like to give you something. I'm like, I know what they're going to give her. I mean, she basically slobbered all over the piece of furniture. But they gave that piece of furniture to her. And do you know what they basically said? We're entrusting you with this for safekeeping. You know what they said to her also? Don't sell it. That's part of entrusting. Don't sell it. My boys have probably told my wife, oh, I don't know how many times, you need to sell it. And you know what? One day, my wife is going to entrust that piece of furniture to one of my boys and their wife. <laughs> and if you know my boys, two of them are married, one of them's not. You know what Teresa's doing? Watching. 
because she wants to be able to entrust that piece of furniture to the one that's not going to sell that furniture. One who's not going to give it up. Paul is literally saying to Timothy, hey, look, I'm handing this over to you, the gospel and the truth you handed over to others for safekeeping. Hey, guys, you know what? We have the responsibility today. You know how I know that? I'm about to tell you. Look what it says. Entrust these to faithful men. I don't remember the last time when I was, the Greek was so important where I mentioned it so much, but I have to mention this. That word men there, there's two different terms that are used for men. One is anthropos and one is andros. Anthropos refers to mankind in general. Andros refers to males, masculine. It's a masculine term. You know what word he uses here? Anthropos. And you guys are going, yes! Because you know what that means? Paul's saying, listen, entrust to faithful men, all of you. He's not just singling out the men. He's saying all of you. So if we're going to take this and make it our own, then Paul's saying this, the things which you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses, entrust these to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. And do you know we're part of that process? Did you know that? Invest in faithful men, and faithful men invest in others. So you know what you need to be looking for? Faithful men. And then the faithful men and women need to look what? To others. Others. In fact, there's a five-step process. I'm going to give you this and then one illustration and we'll be done. Here's the process. This is how it looked. Okay? This is very important for you to know. If you're just sitting in here doing church, um, it needs to be better than that. Can I say that? If you're just like, this is, okay, I know I need to go to church. Please, it's much bigger than that. This is an hour, hour and a half. Being a Christian is not confined to an hour, an hour and a half a week. God has called us to be separate and to be different 24-7 and to embrace responsibilities like this. So, in other words, this five-step process, we fit into the others. We're the others from where Timothy's talking, where Paul's talking, excuse me. So, look at the process. Jesus discipled Paul. And all God's people said, yes, he did. Read Galatians chapter 1. He invested in Paul. Well, did Paul say, that's great. Done. No. Paul, beginning in Acts 16, the second missionary journey, what does he begin doing? Investing in Timothy. Oh. And then, Timothy was to, the instruction here, invest in who? Faithful men, men and women. Faithful men and women. That's what he's saying. I like that. You know why I like that? It includes the whole church. Invest in the church. Invest in others. So it goes Jesus, Paul, Timothy, faithful men, and those faithful men invest in others. Two questions. Who's investing in you? You say, yeah, I'm pretty comfortable with that in this Christian life stuff. 
I don't know if I'm interested in this whole process thing. That was for Paul and Timothy. Well, that's not what it says. That's not what the Bible says. The Bible says, Jesus, Paul, Timothy, faithful men, others. You're like, well, it's Timothy, Paul, Jesus, faithful men, others, others. He's looking out. Others. We're part of that. And so you know what's cool? Is that the Lord was thinking about us. So who is investing in you? Second question, who are you investing in? Those are very important questions. Do you know what happens when this does not, is not being followed? People just do church. That's just the truth. I'm just being honest with you because I love you. And I care about your discipling. That you're being discipled and that you're discipling others. Do you know how blessed, you may not, how blessed I have been over the years to be discipled? Oh my goodness gracious. The list, unbelievable, began with my father and my mother. And then Brother Herb Lane, who got on to me one time in church. That was the one and only time. My dad took care of that. Don Barrett, Dan Cooley, Buford Sarver, Bill Miller. Those are guys just before I got to Southeastern in 1982, which was a couple of years ago. Dr. Hughley, Dr. Talley, George Morans, Dr. Wex, Jan Langford, the list goes on and on. Phil Stamm, Harold Parsons, George Morange. Blessed. What's your list look like? Like, yeah, that was your pastor. Hey, I wasn't a pastor in 1982 or before that. I was a kid growing up trying to do life. You see how important this text is? I mean, it's critical. I'm looking at these young people. Y'all look good today, by the way. Young people, I love young people. I love young people. I love young people. You know why I do a one on Wednesday nights? I got nothing to do. It's just investing. That's all I'm doing. I don't come here for the meal, although Luann does a great job with the meals. Her and Tommy. I love it. Jan Bradley, they're all part of that. I want to invest in these students. I love them. See, this process won't make sense to you till you love. It's just not going to make sense. And I forgot one guy that I need to mention, Brother Morris. The best pastor I've ever worked under. He was an incredible pastor. He knew how to deal with people. He was unbelievable. I went back to him. He, he was in Arkansas, by the way. And I'm not saying that just because I'm prejudiced about Arkansas. I'm a Razorback fan. But he was in this small Presbyterian church in Arkansas. And I worked under him for four months. I was 20 years old. He said, that I want you to take the youth for me. I said, okay. <laughs> my grandmother had set me up. She said, my grandson's going into the ministry. I'm like, I'm not going into the ministry. She's going to college, and Teresa happens to be there. We're going to get married. I remember the first night, students, I 
tore up some pieces of paper, gave it to him. What do y'all want to study? Every single one of those students, there were about 10 of them, the book of Revelation. I was no more equipped to teach the book of Revelation than I am to fly a plane. But you know what? You know what happened to me for in four months? God gave me a hunger and a passion for his word that I'd never had before. See, if we love people, then we'll come to love the process. Because we won't look at people and go, ah, oh, they're such a burden. We'll go, they're such a blessing. God, thank you for putting them in my life. One illustration and I'll let you go. <clears throat> How many of you have heard the name Edward Kimball before? Any of you? How many of you have heard the name D.L. Moody? Do you know who Edward Kimball was? When they write books, it's D.L. Moody. You know where it should start? It should start with Edward Kimball. You know what he did? He was committed to the process. Edward Kimball was D.L. Moody's Sunday school teacher when he was a kid growing up. <laughs> and he would go by and he would see Moody and he'd share the gospel with him. And you know what? Moody got saved. How many people did D.L. Moody influence? Thousands and thousands. And people go, oh, look at D.L. Moody. And I go, ah, oh, look at Edward Kimball. One man who was willing to say, hey, this makes sense. And I'm going to do what God wants me to do. And guys, I want to say one more thing to you. I didn't tell him this first service. The Lord just gave it to me. Don't look in the mirror and go, well, I'm not qualified to do that. You know who makes you qualified? The Lord. And you know who's going to give you the grace and strengthen you in the process? The Lord. So when you leave today, i got a homework assignment for you. Pray. Lord, who is it? Pray with your wife, too. I just, you're not just looking for one person. You want to invest in many people. Lord, who do you want us to invest our lives in? To do life with? To hand down the gospel and the word of God? Who is that, Lord? I want to tell you something. The enemy's going to come at you and go, you don't have time for that. We can't afford to say no. You know how I know that to be true? I've been to England twice. You know what's happening in England? It's already happened. The church is basically dead. There are a few there are a few. There's always a remnant. Few. If we want to see these young people in this room carrying on in 20 years, we better take serious what Paul told Timothy and invest. Let's pray together. going to ask that as I close in prayer guys that you would just bow your heads and just ask the Lord to search you and see if there's 
just maybe a roadblock there that you need to confess and just ask for the strength of the Lord to help you as you look to invest in others. Lord, as we um, close our time together, we're convinced, I would say, of your word in terms of what you have said through Paul to Timothy. It was clear that Paul understood the process. It was also clear that Timothy needed to embrace it. Not relying on his own strength, as Paul said, but that he would be strengthened by the grace that is found in Christ Jesus alone and that he would commit himself to be involved in the lives of faithful men who would be involved in the lives of others. Lord, there's so many distractions in our world right now. I believe the enemy's done a great job of taking the church's eye off the ball. We need to continue to disciple. You're going to handle the rest of it. We have to trust you. And we have to focus on the things that you have told us from your word. You know, it's amazing to me that in this letter, when Paul's facing such tremendous persecution from Nero and Rome, he doesn't go there. He acknowledges his suffering, but he doesn't spend an inordinate amount of time talking about that. His focus is on the gospel and the word of God. And I pray that you would help us to set our priorities straight before you, that we might take seriously what you have said to us in love. Lord, I just want to close by thanking you for these young people that are in here. First of all, I pray that they know you, and if they do... I pray they would have a desire to be discipled in your word. Because 20 years from now, if you don't come back, things are going to have changed a whole bunch more. And I pray that you would find us faithful. That you would find us as one of the faithful men and women who are serving you and who are desirous that you would receive all the honor and all the glory. So as we leave this morning, I pray that we would be faithful to consider what you have said to us uh, through your word today. And I make my prayer in the name of Christ. Amen. You are dismissed. And it was great to see all of you this morning, which has become afternoon. And don't forget your ice cream as you leave. We don't have any here. You have to go buy it.